Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has Rome. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it. Oh, McKinley Wright. Welcome in to the DNVR Buffs podcast presented by Manscaped. I'm Henry Chisholm, and today is going to be a fun show. I'm uh, really excited. I just got off the call with Carl Durrell, uh, Kyle Whittingham, and Jimmy Lake, uh, three Pac-12 coaches who weren't quite as friendly. Like, they weren't mean to each other by any means, but I, I think yesterday David Shaw and Nick Rolovich and Clay Hilton, they were kind of joking around a little bit. There was, there was less joking today. Some of the questions were a little bit pointed. Actually, the call ended with somebody asking uh, if if the three coaches would be okay with the NCAA allowing some schools to start practicing earlier um, because their states are allowing it. Uh, for example, uh, the, the three coaches on the phone, you have one from Boulder, uh, one in Salt Lake City in Utah, and one in Seattle. So obviously, Jimmy Lake up in Seattle is in a much tougher spot um, in terms of COVID-19, unlikely he can get his facilities open as soon as Carl Durrell, but should the other student-athletes have to sit out and stay away from the Buffs gym because the Washington student-athletes aren't allowed into their gym? You know, some of those questions they got into, it, it wasn't testy at all. Um, everybody was very respectful. They just kind of said their mind. I think people kind of ex- said what you'd expect people to say in their situations. You know, Kyle Whittingham said, you know, if, if I can have my guys in my facility just working out, I would love to have that. Now, mandating the six weeks or eight weeks before the season starts, that's when everybody is allowed to start camp or start doing whatever they do to prepare for the actual season. Um, I, there, there was more of a consensus there. But we'll dig into all of the different things that they talked about. And I do have audio of the entire call, which I'll play uh, once I'm done giving all my takes on it. Uh, and there's a lot more interesting stuff. You know, yesterday it was fun to hear their jokes. It was, you know, that kind of stuff. But, but there wasn't too much in terms of hard information. It's not like any of these coaches today know what's going to happen. But they took some stabs at it and were a little bit more open with their expectations. Um, some of their takes on the situations, the scenarios, like the one I just laid out. Um, we'll talk more about that later. We will talk, uh, or that you'll get to listen to the entire call later. But before we get to that point, um, today is Tuesday, and that means that it's time for the DraftKings pick of the week. Hopefully, all of you guys believed me last week when I said that Anthony Pettis would take down Donald Cerrone uh, because you would have made yourself not a lot of money because he was the favorite, but you would have won some money. And I have a great pick for this week, one that I'm super excited about. Um, Again, we're going back to UFC. Uh, 
because that's what's going on. Uh, these fights, they're actually more fights tomorrow night. Uh, I'll be watching, of course, because what else am I going to do with a Wednesday night when there are no other sports? Um, and uh, here is this interesting scenario. So uh, there's actually a special on the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Uh, which you guys, I really recommend you download if you're in Colorado, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Indiana, Iowa, or West Virginia, um, because they have cool specials like this one. So they have fight insurance. Essentially, if if you pick one of the five main card fights tomorrow night, Wednesday night, uh, bet on one of the fighters, and your fighter is doesn't go the distance and loses, so he gets knocked out, uh, submitted, or is DQ'd, then you get your your money back in the form of a free bet worth up to $25. So here is my advice, uh, mostly to make sure you're taking advantage of that special because that's a great deal. Um, especially if you're betting on this main card fight between uh, Anthony, or Anthony Smith and Glover Teixeira. So... Here is, based on my research, the best way to make maybe not a whole lot of money, but make some money. Anthony Smith is the favorite in that fight. Uh, he's he's right now on the DraftKings Sportsbook app, given minus 190 odds. Essentially, that means that if you make the $25 bet, which means that you can get all that money back if he is knocked out, um, you're going to wind up winning about 38 39 bucks. Um well, I guess it's going to be the payout. So technically, you're only winning like 13 14 bucks, But still, it's free money, I think, because I do think he's going to win. But then what makes it even more enticing is the stats. So, I mean, first of all, you look, uh, you know, uh, Smith is only 31. Teixeira is already 40. So you like his odds of winning the fight. But uh, digging just a bit deeper than that, Anthony Smith has lost 14 times in his career. He's been knocked out eight times. He's submitted four times. That means 12 of his 14 losses were fights he didn't finish. That means for 12 of his 14 fights, if you had the special that the DraftKings Sportsbook is putting up right now, you would have gotten your money back for those losses, and you would have won for his 33 wins. Yeah, so look at the record. 33 times you would have won, 12 times you would have gotten your money back, two times you would have lost the bet. So so that's making you feel pretty good right there. And then you flip over to the Teixeira side, and Teixeira, he has won 12 UFC fights, 10 of them have been finishes. So of the 14 times, that, or the 12 times that he has won, only two times have has he won by decision and in those situations you would get your money back with his free bet so what i'm trying to do here is maximize this money back deal from the DraftKings sportsbook um and the way i see it i think that odds are you're going to turn your 25 bucks into 39 bucks and if that doesn't happen you're probably getting a 25 dollar free bet and if that doesn't happen then uh you actually lose your money. But this does kind of look like a great opportunity. I don't love that minus 190 line, but when you are offered this special, how do you turn it down? 
So there's my DraftKings pick of the week. Hopefully you guys cashed in last week. I think you'll probably cash in again this week, especially take advantage of that special. If you download the app, it's just right up there up at the top, all of the specials. I think, uh, what else is up there? Free bet, um, get 10% of your bets back up to $100 on any sport. Uh, the next one over is the pregame protection. That's the one that I was just talking about. Um, all sorts of stuff. Sign up offers, including one for DNVR members. Um, if you download the app and when you sign up, you use the code DNVR, then you will get a first deposit bonus of up to $500. You'll get a first bet match worth up to $500. Uh, so again, that's, that's up to a thousand dollars in sign up bonuses. So use that, uh, DNVR code, take advantage of those sign up offers and then take advantage of the special that they have on those fights tomorrow night. Again, I can't say that I am the UFC expert, but in terms of looking through uh, the ways to maximize your bets, I found a pretty good one today that I am very proud of. So take advantage and take your free money, um, and I'm going to go 2-0. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions do apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Okay, uh, now some buff stuff. Uh, I have some big thoughts on today. And where do we start? Um, we do know for sure that uh, this is a three-way quarterback race. Um, you know, Carl Durrell talked a little bit about how his coaching staff had to recruit Sam Neuer, who entered the transfer portal as a grad transfer, uh, was looking for somewhere else to play. Carl Durrell convinced him to come back. Um, and he is back competing for that quarterback job alongside Tyler Lytle and Brendan Lewis. Uh, Neuer, I, I still think, is probably the least likely to, to land the job. But everything is up in the air. Uh, Lytle was higher on the death chart last year coming out of spring. Um, he was higher when Neuer made the switch to safety last year. That would make you believe that if it's not Brendan Lewis, Tyler Lytle has a better shot than Sam Neuer, but you never know. Maybe it, it is more scheme dependent. If Carl Durrell's system is more complex, then maybe Sam Neuer fits better because he understands that. Or maybe Tyler Lytle fits better because he is more understanding of those systems. You know, we just don't know too specifically, I guess, what the exact strengths and exact weaknesses are of these quarterbacks because we really haven't seen any of the three play meaningful college football before. Um, you know, we haven't seen practices. I guess you could take a little bit from the spring game, but that's a... It's it's up in the air. Uh, um, the fact that Carl Durrell did recruit Sam Neuer to come back and did think that was a, a, a good use of time. He did want Sam Neuer in that quarterback's room. It's not it's not a bad sign. It's definitely not a bad sign for uh, for Sam um, with with Brendan and Tyler both losing out practice. Sam's experience. Um, just just total time he's played college football should benefit him. So maybe maybe we do need to be including him in these conversations. Um, I'm not quite there yet, but uh, yeah, um, he, he Carl really didn't 
say much in terms of which quarterback he's going with. He, he, when he was asked the question, you could see the eyes of the other two coaches light up, though. They wanted to hear him just slip something, just slip up a little bit and say, you know, Tyler's got a shot, too. And just even something little like that that would imply, you know, if he said that, then Brendan Lewis seems like the guy to them, but he didn't. It, it was pretty political. You know, they're, they're doing all they can to coach him as hard as they can from a distance, and they'll see how it plays out during camp. It's what you expect to hear when you ask the question, but how do you not ask the question when we haven't heard from a month who he sees as the quarterback going forward? Um, some other interesting notes from Carl Durrell. He said he, he had quite a bit to say about the scheduling, and, and he was asked some good questions about it. You know, he was asked, what's it like coming from the NFL? What's the difference between an NFL offseason and a college offseason? We're talking about the time it takes. And he said the NFL, they have so much time. The players show up late April and start working early May and it just kind of builds it's players only workouts early they're just doing strength and conditioning and then July I guess in May there is some coaching June there's a little bit of coaching but they're just those mini camps that I think are still voluntary uh, and then mid-July is when you really start to see them ramp up and and don't forget that their season usually starts about a week later than the college football season too I'm not sure if that's the case this year, that I don't think that is the case this year, but he did say that there's a longer ramp up. And then he was asked, you know, if, if everything was normal, how much time would you need to get a team ready for the season? And he said, you know what? It, it's an eight week process. There's a month of strength and conditioning. Then there's a month of fall camp of installing plays, figuring out who fits best where, figuring out who fits best on the field and who fits best on the bench. Uh, it's It just takes that much time. Now, he said that they could get it done in six weeks um, and it wouldn't go as well. You know, they wouldn't be quite as sharp, but you could make it work with six weeks. And then he was asked, and I think, again, a very good follow-up question. It's not, the they weren't questions... Maybe the last one that I hinted at earlier could have been just kind of designed to cause a rift between the coaches to get them to say something they probably shouldn't say. Uh, but for the most part, it was just a good follow-up question. When Carl explains everything that way, the natural follow-up is, okay, well, imagine you're in a scenario where the to, to get your six weeks that you think is the bare minimum, and the other coaches agreed, Whittingham and Lake both agreed that six weeks was kind of that bare minimum number. Um, and they asked Carl, would you rather skip your three non-conference games if that's the only way to get your six weeks of practice in? You, you, I mean, I guess in theory, the scenario is everything is allowed to start. Your college football offseason is allowed to start uh, the second week of August. So you get your three weeks in August. Only way is to take those three weeks in September away from football. Um, and Carl said, yeah, you'd have to do it. Like, you just could not have a three-week camp. As much as they'd hate to see um, the, the any games skipped, you just can't do it because they don't want to be losing games either. I think Carl said that. Like, and it was actually kind of tough to tell whether he said because he said the phrase a couple times. Like, you don't, we don't want to be losing games because of this. And you couldn't tell if he meant like playing the games and losing them, or losing them as in not being able to play them. Uh, but that that's kind of where they stand. Is is that you need the six weeks? You need ideally the eight weeks, um, but six is the minimum.
Okay, so real quick, this is I, I just finished the podcast and wanted to jump back in here because I had some more thoughts that I wanted to get out today, but didn't have another chance to circle back to. So I'm just jumping back in right here because I have more to say about how the college football season should go this year and the different situations that, you know, half the teams in the Pac-12, when you look at Washington and all the California schools are dealing with um, compared to Colorado and Utah and some of the places that might be able to get back on track. You know, I think an August start for fall camp, an early August start is not that far out of the question for a lot of Pac-12 schools. For California, it probably is. Um, and I finally have some takes here. And if, if you guys are in the Discord, like the DNVR lounge, I think you guys have probably read some of this because we had this conversation a couple days ago in there. Um, and if, you, if you're a DNVR member and you haven't joined yet, you should. It's so much fun. There's a link at like dnvrlounge.com. There's links all over the DNVR website. Basically, it's just an app you download, and it's just kind of a constant chat, talking buffs or Broncos, or there's, there's all sorts of stuff. There's a gaming channel. There's a music channel for DNVR subscribers to talk about whatever they want to talk about. So far, it's been really cool. Just launched like a couple weeks ago. Hope you guys that are in there enjoying it. Hope more of you jump in. There's that plug. But uh, if you guys were in there, then you saw some of my takes here. My concern is that they're focus, they, they will focus too much on not leaving any programs behind rather than letting the programs who can play, play. And, and as we've kind of progressed through this process of learning what things are going to look like and what the conversations are and kind of maybe not the timelines to return are, but the, the timelines to when we might have some more ideas about what a return looks like in particular, who's going to be ready when, and my biggest thought is that you want to get this season done in the fall. To me, there is really almost no scenario where I think a spring season is a good idea. Just because I, th I think that you're, you're just pushing your problems down the road in some ways. And, and maybe so many schools are not open that they can't allow college football to be played. And, and that really is the best option. But it just seems so hard to believe for me. Um, I are on the side of, like I said, if, if teams can play, let them play. And if teams can't play, that, it, it sucks. But maybe they can jump in for conference play. And would that lead to some weird scenarios where you have teams playing seven games because that's when their school allowed them to play or that's when their state allowed them to start playing and some schools who are able to play the full 12-game schedule and you have to evaluate which one of those teams is better when it comes to the end of the season with that college football playoff, maybe you still expand it. Um, or maybe you wind up with a couple of 7-0 and teams that don't look as good as a couple of 11-1 and teams, and you have to let the 11-1 and teams in or the 7-0 and teams in, and things don't go perfectly smoothly because of that. But you're limiting the damage to this year. By pushing it to the spring, you're skipping another spring camp. You're, you're turning the 2021 season into another scramble because, I mean, you're probably going to have to start fall camps early to, to justify it um, because you can't just have half of your offseason practices canceled for two straight seasons and obviously have to cancel spring practice because you're playing a spring schedule. Uh, but 
I th- that's that's kind of the big reason because then in 2021 you're still kind of compromised you're still kind of dealing with those effects there's scrambles in the summer to figure out when things should be happening people don't like it you're kind of creating an unbalanced 2020 because every team's playing whatever an eight game or a nine game conference schedule no non-conference games and that's even tougher to sort through than if half the teams do that and half the teams have some non-conference games at least you have some idea some teams have separated themselves from each other maybe you even just grade the teams that played short seasons against each other the teams that play uh full seasons against each other whittle it down to 10 teams and then you get into the tough decisions but i just think there's a way to do it and you know if the buffs I guess they're non-conference games. Oh, no, that, that Fresno State game. The, there could be a situation where that Fresno State game is canceled, and maybe because of that, the Buffs can't play it. Or, or, and they only play their 11-game schedule because that one got canceled and it's not their fault. That could just be the reality of the situation. Or maybe there's another team in the country that had a game scheduled for that weekend that got canceled, and you're able to schedule something last minute. Getting fans there and doing the ticketing... Maybe you're able to get all that done on short notice. Maybe you're not. But at the very least, I think you could have a no fans game um, on fairly short notice. If I guess you'd probably have to start getting those figured out in July because there is the travel and all of that you have to book and the hotels. Um, unless you just play somebody local, that might be the way to do it. But but see, I think there are solutions to enough of these problems that 75%, 80% of college football teams would be able to play a lot of their games this season and you wouldn't have to worry if California is going to be good or not and and then if Colorado or California can't play you're not pushing things to the spring where you know the the draft is scheduled to be I think like the last day of April and the first two days of May and if, if you were to start the season the week after the Super Bowl I believe that's like 12 weeks out 13 weeks and so so you're still playing a shortened season there or maybe you start fall camp during the bowl games or when you would be practicing up for bowl games and then you start the season the beginning of january and that gives you a few more weeks but you still probably have some very high profile players i mean if i'm trevor lawrence how do you not sit out your game you know if the national championship is three weeks before the draft four weeks before the draft and if you get hurt in that game uh, that's that's going to hurt your draft stock. Even if it's a, a smaller injury, it could be the difference between going number one and number two with Justin Fields. And for Trevor Lawrence, maybe he is solidified in his spot. But for even some top 10 picks, the top 15 picks, getting hurt a few weeks before the draft, even if it's only an injury that's going to take a few weeks, a few months to 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 figure out that's going to knock you down at least a handful of spots, which is millions of dollars in the NFL draft. And so I think you would see some big name players back out. Maybe they push the NFL draft later, then the NFL starts late. Uh, and so they're affected, which I guess isn't really college football's pro- program or problem. But there are just so many things that could go wrong if you play it in the spring And who knows, maybe you still don't get the California schools. Maybe there's still schools who are sitting out and you could have just played in the fall and gotten the 2021 season totally on track, had a normal 20 or off season um, before that and you just wasted it and turned this into a two year problem when it could have just been a one year problem. That's where I stand right now. 
And, you know, I guess a lot of you would agree if I had to guess at the top of my head, especially considering that Colorado is one of the teams that likely would be able to play, I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, if, if only 80% of colleges are allowing uh, students on campus and that's what it's going to take to allow schools to play football, then maybe only 80% of teams are able to play this year. And that would really suck. But I think a lot of those teams by the end of the year would at least be able to get a few games in, at least a handful of games in. Who Maybe maybe some of those teams, if, 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 they're, if California really is as bad as it sounds, then maybe they can only play the last four or five weeks of the season. Maybe that makes them bowl ineligible. Who knows what bowls are even going on. Or maybe they say, you know what, we've got five weeks here. Let's see if we can get a couple of other teams who are in this same position to schedule two more games. And we'll play every four days, every five days, and and get our seven games in step five. You know, there are some more creative solutions, and that might be tough. But at the same time, if it's happening to all of California, why couldn't Stanford just hit up Fresno State and say, you know what, let's just go rent a high school football field halfway between us go get a game in. We won't allow fans. We can get done. Or I guess for those teams when they're so close, I mean, they might as well play in one of their stadiums. But uh, that that is the kind of solution that I think teams are going to have to be open to and flexible with. And uh, if they are, I, I think that a fall season is possible. And to me, I would say, you know what? Let's plan on playing the season. If it doesn't go well, then you know what? We screwed up the 2020 football season, but we'll be right on track to have a normal start, a normal offseason after the season, and that'll get us into the 2021 season when there will be no competitive advantages for any teams anywhere, and it's just college football as usual. Instead of saying, you know what, Carl Durrell, he's had two years as coach. How much can you really expect his team to grow, though, when he hasn't had either of his offseasons? There's just so many questions. I, I get through this as quickly as possible and move on. Um, and I feel like I should throw in there, do what is safe. Make sure safety is the priority. There we go. There's the little disclaimer. <laughs> just make it sound like I'm not just pushing for football. Um, yeah, but let me know if you guys have takes. Uh, here's jumping back into what I had to say earlier. I wish I could tell you whether it was interesting or not, but I honestly don't remember. So here's to hoping I was entertaining. Those are some of the big notes. Let's see, is there anything else? Oh, he, he did have some interesting thoughts in the NIL. He didn't provide too much insight. Um, it, it honestly didn't seem like he'd spent a lot of time thinking about it, which makes sense. Why would he? Um, you know, I think he started by saying, you know, that's, I, I believe that's coming in the, for the 2021 season. There's still a bunch of rules that need to be fleshed out, the policies, how exactly everything is going to work. Um, but he did say once they get all of that figured out, that he does think it will be a good thing. Just in general, it will be a good thing for players to be able to accept sponsorships, do that kind of thing while they're still participating in college athletics. Um, so, I'm glad to hear that because if he were saying, I don't know if that's a good thing, I think some of the players could be uh, upset about that. Those were some of my biggest notes from the call. There there really wasn't 
too much else. I thought there were good discussions. Um, I'll let you guys listen in. Um, I do think there is one question. I, I I think I was going to actually get to it on yesterday's show, but we're going to get to it now. Ooh, actually, Silver Buff has two backed up. Okay, so the first one is circling back to the NIL real quick. CU fans really have their work cut out for them there. CU isn't exactly known for its boosters, and boosters will be what can flip some four stars our way. I agree with CSU is the top game this season. Win, and it's six straight, and another three years of bragging rights. That's a great point. And it's in their house. CU fans need to show up and be loud. Hashtag blackout CSU. I totally agree. I, 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 the more I think about it, and I hadn't even considered the the three years of them sitting with it. I, I thought of like the three years with the Brendan Lewis being a freshman and how many opportunities you get to play him in this game. Even though the Colorado State game, it's not that it doesn't feel special. I think it still does. But once it goes back to only playing twice every four years, I think is the plan, it will start to feel even more special. And that needs to be factored in now because there's a good chance that for the next two, three years, that's a game that everybody's fans are going to be circling back to. Um, whether it's the CU fans bragging about it, whether it's the CSU fans sitting in it, um, that's, that is very important in that regard. Um, because it's not going to matter if you tell a CSU fan, we've beaten you seven games out of 10 in our history, whatever the proportion is. Um, I actually don't know. I don't know. I've seen the record, you know, I could pull out a bunch of Montana rivalry records. I should know that. I'm going to look it up right now, but, uh, yeah, so so you you the CU fans will always have that, but CSU uh, will still be tweeting about their win in 2020 if they get it, and I don't think they will. But uh, you know they'll be replying to everything you say with some gif of whatever happens, and they'd be wrong in general, but they'd feel right, and that's how these things work, is it's all about feeling. Um, let's see, 67, 22, and 2. So what's that? That's 67 wins out of 91 games. Oh, wow. I might have been right on that. 61. So it's actually like 74%. 74%. I guess 70. Okay. I wasn't off. Uh, quick flex. You should have, you should have been betting on that for the DraftKings pick of the week. Um, yeah, the booster thing. It'll be interesting because, and again, this is me going from, again, Big Sky football to Pac-12 football. Sure does seem like CU has a lot of boosters, Um, but I do get how in the grand scheme of things when you're really trying to compete with USC and you're trying to compete with Stanford and you're trying to compete with Oregon and, you know, maybe some of these programs aren't where they should be, but it's going to be tough to compete with them monetarily. Uh... You hope they find a way, and winning will help for sure. Um, un- seems like people in Boulder have some money. Um, has been my take during my time here. Uh, so yeah, I mean, we'll have to see how that plays out and how big of a an effect it'll really have. Oh, and he commented again because I missed it, which I appreciate because sometimes I miss things. Um, cool. So there's that. Uh, audio coming quick. First, I got to tell you about our great friends over at Breckenridge Brewery because they really are great friends. If you guys are hungry, save $5 on your meal with the code DNVR. 
when you order from the farmhouse for pickup for delivery they deliver to a lot of different places they have daily specials on food uh they have a lot of specials on uh a lot of specials on beers i'm not sure if they're every day because i'm not on there every day but it sure feels like they are because it's on pretty much whenever i check but uh if you're only interested in the beer and you're not seeing any specials that pique your eye or you're not wanting to get delivered you're just going to the grocery store Use the beer locator on that website and they'll tell you where you can find a Strawberry Sky or an Avalanche Amber Ale or whatever it is that you want to try or just get more of. Uh, I know that I spend a lot of time doing exactly that. Also want to give a shout out to Strava Craft Coffee. They've been one of our partners for so long now. Uh, Maybe our longest running. I think Dre and I were talking about this on the draft pod, but... Really appreciate them, Um, and if you are trying not to go out so much, maybe now is the right time to try getting your coffer delivered to you because you also get 20% off with code DNVR20. So when you factor in the discount, you factor in not having to leave wherever you are, it just makes so much sense. I mean, it's just so easy. There's, There's the upside of including the CBD, and that's really how I see it. You know, I'm not somebody who uses CBD for any specific reason, but if something has CBD in it, why not just see what it could do for you? Um, because Strava Craft is CBD infused coffee, uh, and, and they're the best at what they do, I believe. Um, it's not psychoactive. You don't have to worry about that. I really suggest you try it out. They have whole beans, they have grounds, they have K cups, uh, whatever it is that you prefer or have like a machine you have options. All right. Uh, here, oh, one more time. I should say DMVR20, save 20%. Strava crap, free shipping. There you go. Okay. Um, now, the call. You get to hear from new Washington head coach Jimmy Lake, uh, new Colorado head coach Carl Durrell, and of course, Kyle Whittingham, a more experienced coach over there in Utah, uh, and it's moderated by the Pac 12 Network's Yogi Roth. If you guys have any thoughts on any of this, any questions, I will be back tomorrow with another podcast. And tomorrow, who's tomorrow? I think tomorrow is Chip Kelly, Herm Edwards, and oh, it's Jonathan Smith at Oregon State. So uh, that's going to be a fun one. Love hearing from Herm Edwards. Uh, Maybe tomorrow I'll get to talk about when he tried to give me his chair. And it was awkward because I don't know how to handle things like that because I was just staring at him because he's been a coach for my entire football life. So, uh, yeah, here it is, and I'll be back tomorrow to talk some more. All right, we're at top of the hour. We'll go ahead and get started. Again, welcome to the uh, media to our second of the four Pac-12 Football Coaches Media Webinars. Uh, again, Yogi, the uh, Pac-12 analyst, will host the three coaches. Uh, Uh, Some questions, some topics, and national issues will be discussed for the first 15 minutes. Then the second 15 minutes, we'll take questions from the media. Uh, Again, media, when we get to that point, I'll prompt you to select the raised hand tab at the bottom of your screen uh, to put you in the queue, and we'll get the questions asked of the coaches. So at this time, Yogi, I'll turn it over to you. Excellent. Thank you, Dave. And uh, thanks for all the coaches for joining us Uh, every day. As you said, we're going to have a different theme. Uh, There's a lot to talk about. Uh, We were just talking before we came on air about how everybody's operating in this world. So before we get to the football, I want to ask each of you, what part of your shelter in place have you come to appreciate 
the most? Coach Whittingham, we'll start with you. Oh, boy, I would say just uh, the opportunity to uh, see the grandkids more often. I know, you know, we're not, you know, we've kind of kept it, you know, we're doing our part with the rules and regulations, but, but uh, you know, being around the grandkids a little bit more has been a big positive for me. Nice. Coach Terrell? I would say similar to what Kyle uh, said, but my daughter, who is in college, she's a senior at Auburn, and I haven't seen her very much the last few years, but obviously with this shelter in place, she's at home. So just getting a chance to see all the family together at one spot is that's been rare for the Durrells for a long time. And, but it's, uh, it's fun to have them at home. Jimmy. Yeah. I mean, probably echo the same thing. I mean, for me, it's just all the family time and waking up. I think this is the most, the most times I've actually woke up in my house and had a cup of coffee and was able to watch my kids rise out of bed this many consecutive days in a row. And, uh, you know, watching movies, playing board games, which we usually do in the month of July, but now we've been able to do, you know, almost for two months now. So I definitely appreciate the, uh, the family time. I love that. Okay. Well, I know all of us on this call, we appreciate football. We want it back just like you guys all do. Uh, Coach Whittingham, I want to start with you. And I want to ask this one to everybody. How have you been able to attempt to recapture your competitive edge with everything that you've lost and of course, for Carl and Jimmy, like you guys haven't even had a practice yet as a new head coach within your organization. How have you recaptured that edge or began to try to recapture that edge or build it within your respective programs? Yeah, it's tough. Uh, obviously, being remote and everyone being out of town, you know, all the all the players were at their you know, their homes or, you know, throughout the country. And so, uh, you know, we're just taking advantage of what the NC2A allows, you know, the eight hours of Zoom meetings a week. We have... Uh, team meetings, unit meetings, position meetings, special teams, I and mean, we're hitting all areas and doing everything we can there. Uh, our strength coaches, I feel, have done a great job of, of getting the kids uh, the workouts and, and, you know, being able to, to uh, you know, get them, you know, up to speed on that. And, and our guys, you know, from what we're gathering, they're doing a great job of working out. Of course, it's all on the honor system and, and uh, hoping that uh, things are going well. But it appears like we're, you know, doing everything we can. Uh, we were able to get three practices in, which is you know better than nothing. But but we certainly could have used them all, just like everybody else. And particularly when you're looking for a new starting quarterback and you're replacing you know eight or nine starters on defense, we could have you know really used the spring ball. Just but everyone's got the same you know circumstances. Everyone uh, you know has things to work on. But but uh, I think we're doing about as uh, you know at least in our estimation as good a job as we can with what we uh, what we have available. Coach Sherrill. Yeah, I would say very similar to what Kyle said. It's, you know, the, the challenge that we, probably Jimmy and I are the same, where we haven't had any chance to, to do any practices. But for me, I haven't even been in this program um, before as an assistant or whatever for quite some time. So, you know, Kyle was talking about, you know, you're looking at some new positions and co competitions and stuff like that. I think in my mind, I'm, I'm looking at, you know, 22 positions <laughs> just because they're all new. I have no eyes on them, you know, all those things. So my eyes would be wide open once that time comes, uh, we get a chance to do some stuff on the field. But, you know, but other than that, you know, we're, we're doing our eight hour uh, care rules with our meetings and virtual meetings and installs, you know, the strength and conditioning people are, you know, doing what they can. And, you know, we're, you know, we're being patient in the process right now. So we didn't, we didn't, we don't even talk about spring practice since it never really occurred. But so everybody really, you know, you have to let that go and just try to look forward to what's in front of us now. 
Yeah. And Coach Lake, you, you know, you're known as an aggressive defensive mindset. Uh, you like to, you know, in air quotes, kind of go for it. How have you been able to do that via Zoom with your team amid the times we're in? Yeah. No, it's been a challenge. I think, thankfully, uh, January through the middle of March, we really had a really good start uh, in our, you know, off-season conditioning program with uh, Tim Saha and his strength and conditioning staff. And um, he did a lot of new things, put some new wrinkles in the workouts, got some competitive features um, that I think the guys were really juiced about and they were excited about. And so I think uh, if anything now, it's kind of fueled the fire a little bit where these guys are just chomping at the bit to come back. And, you know, we've done just like, uh, the, you know, uh, Kyle and, and Carl just said, we've done the Zoom meetings and, you know, reinforce everything we had talked about in the beginning of the year. Uh, but I think, uh, you know, our team is going to be extremely grateful uh, when we do come back and they can't wait to get back into a, a regular meeting with, with human beings uh, surrounding them and, and, and going out and doing a walkthrough and doing a practice. So right now, you know, I, I just think it's building the fire in these guys and um, they're going to have a lot of energy when we get back and roll them. Yeah. Coach Sherell, speaking of kind of connecting with players, right about how you had a 10 minute meeting with every player on the roster right when you got there. But now how creative are you getting in trying to get to know guys a little bit deeper than in a position group or a team meeting on Zoom if you are? Well, you, you do have to, you know, still build those relationships, you know, along the way. I do select a, you know, a group of players to try to reach out to every week, you know, on the team just to have some specific information, you know, hello, what's going on? You know, how are school going? We just finished finals. So, uh, you know, we're trying to get grades back from that. So it was a lot of encouragement that, you know, what message that I was telling most of the guys uh, that I've been connecting with, but uh, the 10 minute meeting was just really an icebreaker, you know, just to kind of, I'm the new coach, you know, you're the new, you know, we're, we're in this thing together, that type of thing. But, I think lately since the Zoom meetings, our coaches have done a great job with their meetings, but I've tried to pick off a few guys here and there just to create a, you know, a connection, you know, so to speak. This, this communication, just kind of introducing myself to things that we do, um, you know, because we're, you know, I'm the one that's new. You know, that's, that's the challenge that they're all trying to, you know, gain the confidence in me and, and, and me gaining their trust and stuff like that from the other side of it. Coach Whittingham, uh, you referenced having to replace all the guys that went to the league on the defensive side, obviously one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the country last year, let alone your running back. How, how are you now with the state of Utah kind of figuring out and putting the pieces together when you could actually even get back into the building and can you shed some light on when guys will be able to come in, even if in small groups? Yeah, that's still a, a pretty fluid situation. We don't have any definitive answers, but, but uh, you know, there is some talk about maybe June 1 getting, uh, you know, introducing small groups back into the weight room. You know, we'll see if that comes to fruition. But right now there's nothing concrete. We're just playing it by ear each day and, and uh, getting the updates each day. And, uh, you know, if we are able to get back in the weight room June 1, even on a limited basis, that would be great. But, but that remains to be seen. Yeah. Um, Coach Lake, um, Seattle's kind of been an epicenter for this. Um, it's also become an epicenter in college football, especially for young quarterbacks who want a chance to play. You got three guys, <laughs> two have never taken a snap. How are you communicating and even planning to organize that position and the competition within those three QBs? Yeah, you know, again, thankfully, um, you know, John Donov, our new offensive coordinator, quarterback coach, spent some time with the the two guys you mentioned, Jacob Sermon, Dylan Morris, you know, January through the middle of March. So he was able to, 
you know, they were come up voluntary meetings. They were able to talk and kind of get through some of the basics. Uh, so at least we had something there, a, a little positive, uh, you know, momentum going towards, okay, here's what we're doing. But, you know, after that, it's just been all Zoom meetings. Uh, you know, Coach Donovan hasn't seen one of these guys throw live. And uh, it'll definitely be a challenge. But we're all, we all have challenges right now. What I am excited about is I think all three guys, the third guy being Ethan Garbers, who joined us in, in spring quarter, um, I think they're all talented. I think they're all hungry. I think they're all competitive um, young athletes. And so I know they're excited to learn the offense and uh, get out there and compete. And like I tell the whole team, I'm an equal opportunity employer. Whoever shows they know they know the scheme and they can uh, uh, get out there and practice and, and make plays or be a, are going to be the ones that uh, uh, get the opportunity to do it on game day. And so I think all, those, all three of those guys are going to create a, a really good competition in that room. Yeah, I cannot wait to see how that plays out. Co- Coach, what you referenced, you had a few practices. How many times have you gone back and watched that film just to overanalyze that position? Yeah, yeah, yeah we've worn that tape out, but uh, it was good to get on the field. You know, some is better than none, obviously. But but uh, we got a you know a glimpse of uh, the three quarterbacks that are battling for the job: uh, Cam Rising and Jake Bentley and Drew List. Those those guys are going to be the ones that are in the hunt. Uh, you know, and come fall camp, uh, whenever that transpires we got to get that narrowed down to two right away, you know, so we'll have three going in that uh, are in the mix, but, but we've got to get that to two uh, fairly quickly. And then, you know, ideally two weeks out from the opener, you could decide on a guy and, and uh, go from there. Excellent. Coach Terrell, um, I want to shift gears a little bit. You know, you spent so much time in the NFL where endorsements are a plenty, right? Name, image, and likeness is getting a, you know, a lot of play right now in all of college football, college athletics, a lot of it's because we don't have anything else to really talk about necessarily. How do you view recruiting and the landscape now coming into college from the league where you've seen guys deal with endorsements and now you may be around guys who literally are going to potentially have some endorsements? Yeah, that's going to be interesting. You're, you're right. It's, you know, that's, that's a hot topic that goes into effect next, next year in 2021. Right. So um, I, I would say it, from a, it's going to be a smaller scale aspect of things from the from an NCAA standpoint. Uh, I think there's there'll be some parameters as to how that works. We don't really know what that is yet. Um, I know that you know it goes into effect in January, I guess next year. But um, I think it's a good thing. You know, it's it's it'll be a positive thing for our players. Uh, you know, when it's all said and done, uh, I, I I don't think it can be. Uh, you know, in the NFL, it's it's pretty more widespread where there's a number of things and all sorts of different areas of life uh, where you can get these types of endorsements. I think there'll be some restrictions, I would assume, you know, on the college level. So it's really, uh, you know, it, it's uncharted territory for the, for the college level. But uh, I'm sure there'll be some parameters with it. I think it'll be a good thing when it's all said and done. And we'll just see how it works out as it, as it, gets, as it moves forward. Yeah, such an interesting time just fundamentally in college athletics. Jimmy, I'm curious for you on the recruiting front, what has it been like with so much happening, so much uncertainty, health and wellness, uh, name, image, and likeness, et cetera, that I'm sure you're hearing as you're talking to young kids? Yeah, no, it is. Uh, it's an interesting time right now. And, uh, you know, the, the name and in, image and not likeness really hasn't come up uh, too much just because I don't think the, you know, the law has passed just yet. Um, I think the challenges we're all having right now is, you know, not having those unofficial visitors and official visitors that we would normally have on campus right now. 
Um, but I think our creative team is, has done an unbelievable job of trying to pump out uh, stuff, you know, through social media to, to show the potential prospects what it would be like to come to the University of Washington and kind of give them, uh, you know, at least a glimpse of, you know, what it's like to come out of the tunnel through that purple smoke into Husky Stadium and, and also what it would be like to be a, to be a student athlete on campus. So, uh, but we all have those challenges right now and, and we're just trying to, trying to show them that glimpse through, uh, through a computer screen right now. Yeah, well, Coach Witt, uh, country got to see a glimpse of your program with the draft a couple weeks ago. W- what has that been like in recruiting? What have you felt from all the success that your guys have had when they got picked up over the course of those three days? Yeah, well, it certainly helps. I mean, any any positive things going on in your program is, uh, you know, you try to translate that to recruiting right away. And we were fortunate to have seven guys drafted and uh, another five priority free agents. So we got 12 of our, I think it was 16 seniors we had this year, you know, in camps with the opportunity and and, uh, you know, that's a big selling point to recruits. And obviously, you know, recruits coming out of high school, you know, they want an education. They want to have a chance to play in the NFL. And so that's that's something that uh, we try to uh, let them know there's a great opportunity for that if they come to Utah. Yeah. Um, coach, I remember uh, the opportunity you got to become the head coach at Utah. I was there the day when you got introduced <clears throat> to take over for Urban Meyer. Jimmy Lake has taken over for Chris Peterson. Carl Durrell is now back in the conference as a head coach. What would you give both of these guys regarding some advice of either taking over for a Hall of Fame coach or now coming back to this conference? Yeah, well, I'm not sure either one of them need any of my advice, but but uh, what I can say and what what I did is is uh, you know when Urban was here, we obviously had great success, and so you want to put your own stamp on the program, but don't be afraid to hang on to what's working already. And uh, you know, there's a lot of good things going on at both programs. I mean, Chris Peterson, I think, is one of the best coaches in the country. And uh, so there's a lot that's right. Hang on to that stuff. Don't be, uh, you know, don't change just for the sake of change. You know, change what you want to change and what you think needs changing. Put your stamp on it, but don't be afraid to hang on to, uh, to what's been successful. And we did a great deal that we hung on to a bunch of urban stuff and, and to this day still employ a lot of uh, what he brought to the program. Uh, so well said. Um, I know there's a ton of people that would like to ask a bunch of questions now, but I can't wait to get with you guys because I can only imagine what a roundtable will be like when we're in person. Hopefully that is sometime soon. I don't know when, uh, but thank you for your time. Dave, I'll turn it back over to you as we bring in members of the media to ask questions for the remaining 15 minutes. All right. Thanks, Yogi. Um, again, if you have a question, please select the raise hand tab at the bottom of your screen. Uh, then I will allow you to ask the question when I call on you. The first one will be Brian Howe. Go ahead, Brian. Your line may be muted. Yeah, this is for Coach Terrell. Can you hear me? Yes. All right, uh, Coach, two questions for you. First off, I was curious how you've been able to connect with your staff, which was really just kind of put in place right before all this shutdown. Uh, There's been positives, negatives to that. And then also I wanted to uh, see if you could tell me about uh, the quarterback competition and what you've learned about Tyler and Brendan and Sam throughout this process. Uh, the yeah, sure. The the first question with the staff, you know, that's that's actually a, you know, there are some there are some really good coaches I was able to hire that I had some background with. Um, so there's a there's a number of coaches from that standpoint that the transition has been uh, fairly fairly smooth. You know, it is what we would expect. There's there's some that I've retained. And, and, and I think they're really good coaches as well. Um, but I think you, like what we're all been discussing lately, we're all working remotely. We haven't had a chance to really have a lot of staff time to really iron out really the organizational procedures and how that is. We've talked about it, but it's different when you're talking about it and doing things 
from a remote sense and not really being collectively in one room and working things out and giving descriptions and examples and stuff like that when they're all together. So, you know, that's, that's always going to be the, the newness of a staff is just going to, going to take some tweaking and getting used to. And these circumstances have slowed a little bit of that process. But, uh, but other than that, I've, I've been very pleased with, with what they've been able to do. I've been in their zoom meetings with their players uh, so I've got really good teachers and that's really the first and foremost that I want good teachers and and I think we're getting our information conveyed to our to our student athletes uh, as it pertains to the quarterback position you know Sam is you know we we had to recruit him to come back he's already graduated and and he was uh, getting ready to be a grad transfer somewhere else and we we got him to stay so we ended up losing one of our quarterbacks right after the end of this season, right prior uh, to Mel Tucker leaving. Uh, so we had one transfer out, and then we had one come in in January with with Brendan, who, as you mentioned, and and then Tyler, who's the one that's been here. He'll be a junior this year. So um, all three of those guys, if you if you when you put it all when it's all said and done, haven't had much time. Obviously, the freshman hasn't had it down. You know, Tyler has not played very much. He probably played less than 20 snaps all season. And then you have Sam, who was actually playing at the safety position when they moved him uh, prior to coming back and playing quarterback now. So it's really a wide open position. Uh, we're coaching them all hard. Uh, and we're just going to see how the thing really falls in place when we get a chance to, to line up at the beginning of the season. But we, we have a long way to go still. Okay. Uh, your next question will come from Wesley Ruff. Go ahead, Wesley. Hi, it's actually Dana. I guess I'm logged in under Wes. I, Coach Witt, I can't uh, escape uh, Wes's shadow, I guess. A <laughs> um, couple questions for you, Coach Witt. Um, first of all, there's been the idea of playing an 11-game uh, regular season against all Pac-12 opponents. What do you think of that? And then what do you think of the possibility of – uh, playing without fans. It may have to become a necessary part of uh, modern-day sports. Well, yeah, uh, you know, right now, obviously, there's, uh, you know, all options are on the table, and we've got uh, all kinds of things we've talked about uh, as, you know, as a, as a conference, and, and uh, the other conferences are doing the same thing. So I think there's uh, a lot of questions that have to be answered, first of all. I mean, the ideal situation is we start on time, we play the normal schedule, and got fans in the stands, and away you go. Uh, I think the odds are probably against that. But uh, if it comes to uh, playing a conference schedule, then, you know, we're all in. And that's, a, you know, if that's what it takes to, uh, you know, to get the season in and, and get things done in the best fashion possible, then, then uh, you know, that's what we go with. But I think we're still uh, several weeks out from, from having any real concrete direction on, on uh, you know, what's going to happen and how things are going to be set up. But, but uh, that is certainly one of the possibilities. Now, I haven't heard of an 11 game, you know, we've heard a 10 game model and a nine game model. I guess there's nothing wrong with, with an 11 game model. If you, if you have the, the time frame. my, you know, one of my big uh, issues is trying to avoid playing games during finals. I think that's tough on the student athletes. And, and I know we have bowl prep during finals and so forth. That's a whole different ball game than, than getting ready for an actual game that week. And so, uh, you know, I think we're going to try our best to get as many games as we can and uh, we'll see what happens. But like I said, there's so much, unknown and so much uh, uh, fluidness to the situation that uh, it really is it's pointless to really try to pinpoint any one uh, direction that we're going to go it's going to have to wait and see and, and uh, go from there uh, 
Okay, your next question will come from Troy Rank. From, um, go ahead, Troy, your line is open. Troy? Oh, can you hear me now? Sorry there you about go. that. Coach Durrell, when you, your experience from being at CU should help, but how long do you think it would prepare a college team to get ready for a season, having gone through training camp in the NFL with professionals? What do you think is realistic in terms of preparing a group, especially a group that didn't have the advantage of spring practice? Well, good question. Um, you know, the NFL is different. You know, they, it's a much longer process, what they do in the offseason that starts um, in general, let's say the, the third week of April is when everyone comes back into their organizations talking about the players and there's a two week period of just strength and conditioning where the coaches have no time with them. And then they, it gradually builds into practice time. So it's a, it's a longer process of when they get ready to play. Um, that process runs from their, from their OTA period through mid June. And then they take a break and come back in training camp the latter part of July. So, you know, you're asking me a time frame. you know, it's, it's, Given the situation we're in right now, I think it's more ideal. You know, we since we haven't had much time with our players with hands-on uh, supervision, is I'm, I might be the only one who feels this way, but I think it's an eight-week process. You know, it's it's given the status that we're in is, you know, I, I like to have a month of training and conditioning to kind of get them in shape, and then the month of training camp and then play the, you know, play the game. But it's when it comes down to it, but. I don't think we're going to get anything close to that. You know, I know that we're, it's going to be a little bit faster process, but um, I think we're given the, the circumstances in this season and, and what we're dealing with. I think all of us coaches feel whatever time they give us, we'll be appreciative of it and we'll just make the most of it. You know, and I think that's really how I, my mindset is. But if I had my druthers, I'd say I want an eight week process, you know, before that first game. Okay, next question will come from Larry Stone. Go ahead, Larry, your line is open. Yeah, this is for, for Jimmy. Uh, Jimmy, you have the unique situation of being a first-time head coach. Uh, you must be just anxious to put your stamp on things, and uh, how tough has it been in that regard, you know, just not getting that chance to, to, to coach with the first chance as a head coach? Yeah, you know, it's definitely a challenge, but uh, thankfully, you know, I've been here going on seven years now and, um, you know, especially on the defensive, defensive side of the ball, these guys have heard my voice over and over and over. And I know on the offensive side of the ball, they've also heard me in a different, in a different fashion, but you know, all these recruit, all the, the our players here, uh, I was in the recruiting process with almost all, every single one of them. Um, they know me, they, they know my personality. So I feel like um, in that regard, um, you know, there's a lot of positives there. But definitely, you know, and uh, you know, going through spring football practice would have been a would have been a, a huge deal, you know, for our program and, and for me as a, as a new head football coach. Um, I am fortunate; I've been around a, a lot of great head coaches, uh, like Kyle mentioned. I mean, Chris Peterson, who I think is uh, the best uh, college football coach I've ever been around, and you know, I've also had some NFL experiences with some some really great head coaches. And um, so I'll be able to lean on those experiences and um, just uh, chomping at the bit to, to get these guys back here. All right, names. Next question will come from James Crepia. James, go ahead. Your line is open. 
guys, uh, I'm, I'm sure, yeah, you're all chomping at the bit, and, and certainly us in the media are as well. Uh, but not much has been said by or on behalf of players in this equation, and certainly they don't have a union or anything like the pros do. If a player or their family is not comfortable returning to campus or they have an underlying medical condition or I think two of you have international players, if they're unable to return to campus due to travel restrictions or something, how do you approach that situation and what's the status of their scholarship with your program? Who are you asking that question to? Anybody? All of, all of you. <laughs> all right. Well, I'll just chime in. Um, you know, first of all, you know, there's going to be a lot of things that uh, that arise that uh, probably haven't even been thought of yet, that uh, hurdles that we've got to get over. And, and uh, you know, in answer to your question about if there's underlying medical conditions, I mean, obviously the safety of the athlete is first and foremost. And so if we go into this thing and there's not a vaccine in place or, you know, there's like I said, there's so many variables that you can't – I don't know if we can really adequately answer that question at this time, but but I think that, uh, you know, I can safely speak for all three of us that the, the student-athletes' welfare and their, their safety is first and foremost. And and uh, I don't think anybody's interested in putting them in harm's way in any way, shape, or form. And, and uh, so that'll be job one. Uh, as far as the travel and getting people here, that'll probably be a, a challenge as well. I mean, you know, who, who knows how much lead time we're going to have before we get the go-ahead. And, and you're right, we have some players from Australia uh, and England as well. And so that'll be uh, something that we've got to, you know, get ironed out. But but uh, kind of like most of the questions we fielded, I mean, there's just so many things that uh, have yet to be determined. It's hard to give you a concrete answer on that. Yeah, the other coaches – I would diddle that too. Um, you know, it's, it's, I think we're, we're living each day really day by day in terms of the information we get. And, but I, I, like Kyle said, we're going to, obviously our safety comes first. You're going to be uh, very cognizant of that. You know, all the conditions, uh, the health conditions of our team, uh, our staff, you know, those are, that's part of it too. So, um, but I know that, you know, we're, we're being governed in the right place. And, and I know that, uh, you know, if and when those times come, when we have the deadlines of things to, to report to and when we can do things, uh, we can be a little bit more definitive. But uh, right now, it's, it's living it day by day. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with, with both coaches. The biggest thing is it's the safety of the players and our staff is number one. And so if someone has an issue with an underlying condition of getting back here, I mean, we're going to deal with that appropriately. It's going to be nothing about trying to get them here for a meeting, and that takes precedent over over, over their safety. So, um, safety first for for all of our personnel here. All right. Next question will come from Mike Varell. Go ahead, Mike. Your line is open. Hey guys, um, I just want to ask for for uh, for Jimmy and Kyle. I know Carl talked about this, but just you know, with a ramp up or an extended fall camp or whatever that may be. What do you feel like your team would need to be ready? What would be kind of the ideal scenario for that? Well, we've talked as uh, coaches, uh, you know, in the conference, and I think that the pretty the sentiment is pretty much uh, six weeks would be a minimum. I think that's uh, something that uh, we could live with. Uh, if we're presented with less than that, then we've got to adjust accordingly. But but when you look at it, uh, you know, just discount spring ball, take that out of the equation. The typical lead-in is eight weeks of training in the summer, four weeks of fall camp before you play or camp and then leading into the season. So you got 12 weeks there. So so if we get half that, I think that would be uh, great if we can get that done. And, and uh, you know, that seems to be the consensus uh, among the rest of the coaches as well as, as a six-week six lead-in would, uh, would be adequate. 
Yeah, Mike, I think, I mean, we would all want more time. Like Carl mentioned, I mean, eight weeks would be, would be, would be great. And anything more than that would be obviously uh, going in the positive direction. Uh, but did we have all talked as, as coaches that six weeks would be a minimum, um, you know, get these guys two weeks of just getting in condition for one and then start implementing our schemes and going through meetings, um, so on and so forth. So I think uh, six weeks has been agreed upon uh, would be uh, at a minimum uh, the best for our guys. All right, next question will come from Kelly Lyle. Go ahead, Kelly. Your line is open. Yeah, this is uh, for Coach Durrell. Carl, just wondering with the um, thought and this talk of six weeks and all, if it came down to it and you had to choose between playing those three non-conference games and only getting maybe three or four weeks to get your team ready or having that full six weeks and playing conference-only schedule, what would be your thoughts on that? What would be your preference? Uh, say that again. Uh, say the, the last part of that question. If you had to choose between playing those three non-conference games and maybe not getting an extra two or three weeks of practice to get that six that you would like, would you rather just play the schedule as is with only three or four weeks of prep? Or would, do you really want that, feel that six weeks is necessary? And if you lose the non-conference portion of the season and go conference only, that'd be your preference. Okay. I, I think the six weeks is what you need, regardless of whatever schedule you have, uh, whether it's a 10-game schedule or a 12-game schedule. I think you still need that prep time. Um, I, I would say, like, like what Jimmy said, that's, that's, that's at the minimum in my, from my standpoint is, is, you know, six weeks is a, is, a, is, a, is a good amount of time, but, you know, we wouldn't want to be anything less than that. Um, and then I would just work the season back from there. So right now we're all anticipating having a full season where, you know, we're starting uh, beginning of September and we're hoping that, you know, the six week process backs up from when your first game uh, date is and, and then you're away you go from there. So I'm not, I'm not interested in losing just because of, uh, you know, losing games and, and because I'm, I'm, I'm down to a, a month of preparation, I still, I think as a coaching group, we still want to play as many games as we can. And I think we would do it with whatever time frame they give us to do it. We're just merely making suggestions as to what is the proper amount of time for the preparation. So uh, we don't want to lose any games for sure. All right. Final question will come from Leo Haggerty. Go ahead, Leo. Gentlemen, thank you for your time. The demographics of Salt Lake City and Boulder are totally different than Seattle. From a competitive balance, does the conference have to say everybody starts together? Or if Utah and Colorado can start two weeks before Washington, is that okay? And I, I want to hear from all coaches. Coach Lake first. Yeah, no, that's a, uh, you know, I, that's a, that's a great question, Leo. Um, you know, I'm of the opinion it would be great if the whole NCAA made a blanket rule for the whole nation of when we would start. And I, you know, I understand some states maybe uh, you know less hit by this um, than most, and I'm sure there's gonna be some different opinions after me. But um, you know, in my opinion, I believe the NCAA should step in and say, okay, here's the date where everybody can start. Uh, because obviously we have a non-conference game to start off. If they were able to, to practice, you know, two months before we, we were able to practice, um, that's, that's a disadvantage. 
and not even you know not even talking about Utah or Colorado, just our, our first game that we're that we're uh, slated to play. Uh, so that's what I, that's what I would be for. Um, and and then I think we would be all on an even playing field. I think the NFL is also going through the same same issue right now. Some states are opening up before others, and I've heard a couple of NFL head coaches also have the same sentiment. Go ahead, Carl. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I think in general, I feel the same way Jimmy does. I think there should be a, a blanket start as to when that six week process or whatever time frame it is to prepare for your, for your season. I think there should be, um, you know, the NCA should, should govern that. Um, I, in terms of the open, when things are opening from one, you know, state to another, I think that's usually involving just, uh, I would say the, the normal NCAA guidelines of care hours or whatever you would normally do wouldn't, I mean, I, I've, I've made this proposition for the, for the, for the group last week about it. Let's say if Colorado did open up and we're, we're able to work out. Um, that's still a, a governing time of just training uh, stuff that he's, we're getting supervision for. I mean, I'm be, I would be in favor of that. And I think from a conference perspective, if there's schools that couldn't do that, uh, where they were still out, where they couldn't come back on campus, I would I would try to get it legislated for where you know those those campuses can have virtual you know supervision for for workouts you know because the kids can't be back on campus. I just think that you know whenever we can open up and play or train, uh, that's probably the, the correct word to say is train is is more important uh, since we. You know, we haven't had much time to do anything like that. So I, I would try to take advantage of any and all time that I can, given what the NCAA governs us to do. Yeah, as far as my opinion, uh, you know, for training and training and, and, and the six-week lead-in or whatever we call that period of time, two different entities. And right. I don't believe that uh, players that have the availability and the opportunity to train should be uh, – that should be withheld from them. I think, you know, it's, everything's in the best interest of the players, in my opinion. Uh, there's imbalances and inequities all across the board in the NC2A. I mean, facility-wise, recruiting bases, nothing's really equal when, when you really look at it. And so I would hate to see athletes just sitting around that you could be training and getting ready for the season uh, just because uh, other places aren't quite yet to that point. Now, the other side of that is I think that, you know, the lead-in time to the season needs to be the same. You know, if you got six weeks, uh, seven weeks, whatever, I think that needs to be – uh, mandated, but uh, I just don't like to see athletes that uh, would have the opportunity and have the clearance and the go-ahead have to sit around and wait uh, just because of where they live. And like I said, there's you know we could debate all day long how much inequity there is in, in college football, and and uh, you know that's just my opinion. Colorado swagging at the crowd, do the wave. Look into my eyes. 
lies. I can tell that you afraid. Uh-huh. Cause you know we finna hit ya. Hit ya. Hit ya. Hit ya. Hey, hey. You on your own now. Why you watching the official? Yeah. You just better hope you make it to the next whistle. Yeah. And we ain't playing with you. You can get it anytime. Yeah. It started at the scrimmage. We gon' win it at the line. Yeah. My Colorado swag in the middle of the ring. Green. Throwing blows, knocking down team after I team. They like my Colorado swag. Cause when I'm in that play. Colorado swag, my 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 Colorado swag, man, I swear I think they like my Colorado swag.